0: We are continuing through a series entitled Citizens and Aliens, and the title for that series really comes out of the passage that we looked at in week one, uh, 1 Peter 2, looking at truth about um, being chosen and, and being salt and light in a lost and hurting world, just as was prayed. And one of the greatest detriments to that is if we really don't get it if we don't really understand what it is that our purpose is, what it is that we exist for, or why it is that God gave us grace in the first place. And that passage is so powerful, it speaks about, again, being chosen a holy people, right with God, not because of who we are, but because of the presence of Christ within us. And that makes us different automatically. Set apart, just as he spoke to, to the Israelites a long time ago, even in the Old Testament and then all throughout Scripture. And so he says to us, hey, you're to be salt and light. You're to be different. You're to be citizens living in the world, but again, not of it, aliens. Different. Different because that's what my grace makes you. How do we do that in a world that is um, so foreign sometimes? We looked at some of that the, the next week, last week. Just moved down a little bit, went from 1 Corinthians 2 down to 1 Corinthians 3, looked at truth about how to navigate this world, the cultural practices, the values that exist, morality, ethics, and all that the world says about who it is that we should be that stands in opposition to who God made us to be. And there's a tremendous uh, verse in all of that truth. It it speaks about you're free. You you have the capability to choose who it is that you would be, but do not let your freedom be a cover-up for evil. It speaks about that in terms of submission to authority and culture as well. That first and foremost, if you know Jesus Christ, that's who you are, an alien, and you need to live like that. You can't use your freedom and the choices and the things that culture says in terms of this is who you're to be to to cover up evil, to, to literally put a blanket on the light of Jesus in your life, but to shine and radiate, to be salt and light if you really want to know how do I deal with these things that are happening in the world how do I deal with all of these different values and these practices and things that the world says this is how I need to think you you look to who it is that God calls you to be what it is that he speaks is truth and there's often a great difference isn't there between what it is that God has to say and what it is that Culture says about truth and values and being. We got into that a little bit last week, but that's true this week as well. Citizens and aliens. There's always been this, this chasm between the world and God, and it's caused by something that we know full well, introduced in the Garden of Eden, Eden, something called sin, right? It's something that entered the world and is in our hearts and in our lives. And detours and, and distracts from the very presence of God. Dave Kinneman wrote a book um, entitled You Lost Me. He wrote a book preceding this called Unchristian. Dave Kinneman uh, was the lead researcher for a long time for the Barna Group. Now he's the, the president, CEO. And what the Barna Group does is takes a lot of research, asks a lot of questions, studies, looks at all of that data, and then formulates understandings about realities in terms of what's going on in the world, how people are thinking, who it is that they're being. And in this book, You Lost Me, and the subtitle is Why Young Christians Are Leaving the Church and Rethinking Their Faith, He he addresses a lot of the things that lead to a chasm that's widening that gap between the the culture and particularly young people today and the church. And regardless of how it is that we want to believe or think about who it is that the church is being in the world today, the reality is, is that younger people are leaving the church in droves. And there's a number of different reasons for that, and he focuses on some of those things. Some of those things are drawn out through the research, not through the understanding of what it is that we would believe in terms of what we see as the church, but what it is that people who are leaving say. There's a big difference. You know, we have a lot of assumptions about that, but they're just dealing with truth. They're saying, this is why. And we're going to touch on on one of those in particular this morning, out of the truth from 1 Corinthians, verse one, eighteen 18 to 31, but it's related to two of the others. Ooh, one of the reasons is because of the hypocrisy of the church. People are looking at the church and saying, where's the difference? Where's the alien part of it? You know, in my encounters with people who call themselves Christians, they don't act any differently than people that don't have christ in their life so what's the big diff right what why why is that so important why would that have any kind of special meaning hypocrisy has always been an issue for the church one of the other things that is true has to do with the love that the church has for the lost there's this growing understanding that there are things that you love rather than me in terms of a lost person, is seeing the church saying, you, you love things that are about you more than you love me. And and that's not me speaking. That's people who are saying, I have no need for you. That's a real problem. And, and part of it, and both of those things are rooted in what the passage in 1 Corinthians speaks about today. And that has to do with that thing called called wisdom the wisdom and 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 what it is that we know then and how we think we're wise or how we're thinking is 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 at the foundation of what it is that we choose to believe and who it is that we choose to be what we believe is based on what we know and what we accept as truth and there certainly is a, a wide um, chasm there. And I'll just use one example, and this will give you kind of an idea of why culture is over here and why the church is over here. It, just with one phrase, there's so many that I could use, we're going to talk about that word wisdom a little bit later. But what do you think of, what do you hear when you hear this phrase, God's love or Jesus' love? What do you th- how do you define that? You see, see, the problem hasn't been with using the, the right words necessarily or a lack of communication. We're using the same words in the same language. You can say God's love or Jesus' love to somebody who is lost and in culture, and, and here's the problem. That means something different to them than it does to you and to me, it, anybody in Jesus. Here's what's happened. There's been a shift that's taken place. When we speak of or when I'll just use myself for myself, when I say the love of God or Jesus' love, it means that, that God loves me unconditionally and I'm in need of that love and grace, right? When I think of God love and, and you think of, of John three sixteen, for instance, for God to love the world that he sent, he sent. Why? He sent his only son into the world that whosoever should believe him should not perish, right? There's a, why is that true? but have everlasting life because we need God's love. We need grace. That's a foundational underpinning to understanding God's love, that he gives grace for our, for our sins, that there's forgiveness, and he promises to be our God. Here's the glitch. So it's, we would say that God loves us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our sin, and that's why we need grace. Culture puts a little spin on that today. And I know you've heard it. I know you've seen examples of it. When they say the love of God or the love of Jesus, they're speaking about, yes, God loves me unconditionally, but he loves me with and in my sin. Do you notice the difference? And that's based on, on the truth and the wisdom of that new religion. I've referred to it many times, secular relativism. So I'm okay with who I am, and I basically get to define what is true for me. So therefore, if I call this sin, I, I don't need grace and forgiveness for that because God's okay with it because he loves me unconditionally. I don't need to change or be transformed. You know, the interesting part about all of that is, and I'm going to get to the passage in just a second, is, is that that, is, that just shows you how relative it is. Now, you know, you used this example before. You see, you're picking and choosing what sin really is. So this part that is convenient and fits my lifestyle, that's okay, but then if you do something to me or there's something else that happens, or even myself, if I, if I do something that I'm not comfortable with, then that's, that's okay to be called sin. And so I have very few people, I think I only encountered one person, and that proved to be true, uh, not true in short order, that doesn't believe that they that they don't sin. Almost everybody, ninety nine point whatever, nine 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 percent of people admit that they have sin in their life. They understand Romans three twenty three for all have sinned fallen short of the glory of God. The problem is, do they need forgiveness and grace for that in order to merit salvation? There's the issue. In Galatians two twenty one, maybe you're familiar with that verse speaks very clearly to that. For I do not set aside the grace of God for nothing. Well, if righteousness could be obtained through the law, then what? Christ died for nothing. Trust me, he did not die for nothing. He died for you. And there's not a human being alive that doesn't have sin in their heart and in their life. And yet there's this gap in terms of understanding that in culture and Kinnemann says it's rooted in three things. He speaks about it in verse 55 in this book. And, and I want you to think about these as we get into God's word. It's just so contrasting. He addresses it so clearly, so relevant in his word. The first is this self belief. I've already addressed that. In other words, what's true for me and not be true for you, what's sin for me and not sin for you, I get to pick and choose. Second is that, the, and this is a huge one beliefs and morals are now grounded in the grid, the foundation of relationships and cultural knowledge, those two things. If you would ask a lot of people, why do you believe what you believe? They'll speak about, well, somebody told me that, I saw it on the internet, um, my friends believe it. I've experienced that in my personal relationships, and so therefore it is true that's the foundation of what it is that I choose to believe, the difference being, of course, where is God's word in all of that? And then, um, lastly, the new terminology, just speaking about things differently. Defining words differently. So as you, as you process that, you think about that, differences, chasms, um, what does it mean to be wise or not wise? Open up your hearts and your minds to the word and the truth of God found in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 31. Hear the word of the living God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is, here it is, our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let them that boast, boast in the Lord. This is a, 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 an incredibly powerful passage. I know I say that every week, but hey, they all are. And it's filled with um, a lot of playing on words as well. But, but it's really deep. And it's really speaking about, again, what it is that we choose to believe, especially about who Jesus is, especially about the cross. And what really is, is wise and what isn't, what is smart or what isn't. And he's speaking originally to an audience that prized wisdom, Sophia, the Romans. Corinth was the epicenter, um, both geographically and, and then in terms of, of culture and life in the Roman world. And Paul goes there and he speaks and shares the truth of God to them, just as he does us today and he did so because they really wanted to know they had a a desire and and a thirst for knowledge for intellect for wisdom and if you just think of Greek mythology and you think of all the different gods they had uh, rational um, reasons for each and every one they all fit there were good arguments for each one for for Zeus for Mercury for Diana on and on and on they had this pantheon, this huge... And so th- they had an understanding that if you can explain it to me, if I can figure it out, uh, wisdom, then then I'll believe it. That's that's where we put our stock in terms of what it is that we believe in. He refers to that later on in the passage. And and so he, he comes and, and he, he speaks about that, and if we have, to, we have to admit this, I think that's something that's also prized in our culture, isn't it? Wisdom and intellect, that that is something that is prized, something that we value. I, I see a lot of you thinking about it. I got a question for you just to, just to verify that. So if, if you would say, well, you know, not so much. I'm okay with, well, here's a question. Would you rather have me call you dumb or smart? Smart. Would you rather have me call you wise or a fool? Wise. Yeah. There's an appeal to that. And even if you can't relate to that, let me ask you this question. If you were to go into an interview tomorrow, maybe you have an interview this week. And one of the questions that invariably is asked, what makes you a strong candidate? Why would you be an asset to our group or to our organization, our company? Would you answer this way? Because I'm not very smart. Or would you answer this way? Because I'm really kind of a fool. Yeah, let's see where that gets you. Yeah, No second interview for you. We get it. We understand the, how we, even us, value intellect, smarts, and being called wise. But I have a couple more questions for you then when you think about that. When you think about it as real and true, not just in culture, but in your heart and in your life too. Here's a question for you. And I hope you really think about this and you think about it relative to how it is that you're living, who it is that you're being, the choices that you make. Here's here's the question. What does it mean to be wise? Culture, that's another one of those words that has just been shifted and changed. And if you're answering that from a cultural perspective, you'd say, well, what it means to be wise is you have this accumulated knowledge out of life experiences that make you wise. You've been down that road, so you start to know what it is that is right and wrong, and you start to know what it is that's going to be helpful in terms of decision-making. One problem with that, that's not what God says is the definition of being wise. Does anybody know what it is? I'm sure you do. Fear the Lord. You can find it in Proverbs 1-7. And that passage is this the beginning of wisdom. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Suggesting what? That there is this process of life. And the more that we fear the Lord, and by the way, that Hebrew word is talking about three things all mixed into one. That there is awe for God in your life that there is reverence for God in your life. And yes, there is a genuine fear. That's what makes you wise, because you, you, you are afraid of the consequences, the things that happen in life when you don't choose what it is that God says you should do and who it is that you should be. But, but that you do that again because you, you're in awe of him, you revere him. That's what God says is wisdom. Wisdom. You see the difference between a cultural understanding and that word gets bandied about all of the time in terms of wisdom and being wise. People are speaking about people who have no presence of God in their life and being wise. So here's, here's another question. So, so the de- definition was, was what? In, of wisdom. Then I have this question for you and I want you to think about this, especially if you're really just struggling with, with any kind of truth in God's word right now. Whatever it might be, about a cultural issue, whatever. Here's the next question Does anyone here believe that they're wiser than God? That's what this passage is about, it's rooted in the cross. And in Jesus Christ, in Jesus, if you you look at what is said, even in 2 Corinthians 1, he, he fulfills all of the promises. He's all that we need in God, Jesus is. And then you look at the verse here. What does it say? For the message of the cross, you see it, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then verse 19 I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. See, there's some, some playing on words here. I'll destroy the intelligence of the intelligent. And what is God saying? You know, I'm going to prove just in the living of life that if this is what you think is, is wise and smart, just take a look around you and figure it out. And all you need to do, even you start to think about Jesus Christ, you look at those first two verses, and, and, and there's so much more. Because the reality, a self-imposed wisdom and intellect gets in the way of God. It just does. It's a real obstacle to people coming to know Jesus because intellect and often wisdom that are linked together by the world has to do with rational thinking. It has to do with this has to fit. It has to be logical. I've come up against that in all kinds of team meetings and consistories as well when we're talking about faith. You see, the reality is it doesn't have to fit because it can't. Think about grace. Think about the cross. Does that make any sense? Does it make any sense? based on who you know that you are, that God would send his son from heaven to do what? To die for you. Now, I know some of you are much better people than me, but it doesn't make sense to me. I know who I am. And I read about who God is, and I think, how could that be? That you, O oh God, would know me that intimately that you choose to want that that you choose to love me the way that you do. It's mind-blowing. It doesn't fit. It's a square peg in a round hole. It makes no sense, you see, and that's the, that's the problem. If that's where we choose to be and that's what we choose to believe. About that or anything else, it has to do with God. Th- that's why it's foolishness, he's saying. To those that are perishing and all you need to do is to start to think about who it is that you are to see that that what is said there and, and it's articulated really wonderfully in verses 20 to 25 i encourage you to go back and read it but verse 25 basically says what is up in the screen the foolishness of god is greater than man's wisdom i already asked you the question i just think about that in terms of life If you know that you have sinned, just one sin, and if you know who God is, holy, pure, and righteous, you understand that those two things can't exist together. And be right. If you're struggling with that understanding or the way of saying it, think about your relationships. Think about a friend. Think about a husband. Think about a wife. Think about a child. And if you're not right with them, how is that working for you? If you told lies or you said or you done things that are hurtful or mean, how does that work out that you don't need grace and forgiveness? How does it work out that you don't want to be right with them? I hope that that's true for all of you. You don't want to harbor hostility and sin in your heart. Rather, you'd like resolution and reconciliation as God calls for it. You see, that's what he's getting at. We'd rather be fools sometimes, beg pardon, than be wise in God. And that play on words is the foolishness of God. So you, you can think any part of God's word is wrong or off. Then you have just, of course, put yourself above the Lord in terms of thinking and knowledge and wisdom. And if that's true, I already asked that question, but make me a flower. That's what the cross is about. The world and people in it have no need for it. Why? Because I'm okay. I'm good as I am. I don't need to be changed and transformed. This thing that you're calling sin, not according to me. People look at it differently, right? The Jews were looking for, it says, miraculous signs. I say, give me evidence to demonstrate that you are who you say you are. I think he gave plenty of those throughout their history with Jesus. Greeks, of course, want it explained and rationalized. They look for wisdom, that's Sophia. Be another Plato or Aristotle or Socrates to me, and maybe I'll give you the time of day. But it's about Christ crucified. A stumbling block, verse 23, says to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to whom God is called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God. Is that what he is to you? That passage, that verse, The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Really comes home when we take a look at ourselves and the world in which we live in, doesn't it? And we know the need for God's presence in our heart and in our life because of our fallenness, because of who it is that we are and how it is that we deal and try to make it through this world without him. Even when he's in our life. And when we turn to the Word of God, when we pray and we seek His presence, we hunger and we thirst for the Lord, we invite Him into our lives. And and just in faith, we get down and we're humbled and we're grateful for who it is that He is. And we we see the result of what happens. Have you ever had that experience? I'm sure you have. You, You just pray and you're asking God for direction and leading confession and you see God go to work it's awesome it's incredible and so often isn't this true that the things that you thought were logical or the things that you needed to have evidence of become and they become in Christ God's power working in and through your life it's amazing it's awesome you, you don't know how many times I've had people tell me this they, they've come up to me and they said this. you're not going to believe this or this might seem really stupid or crazy to you, but this is what God did. And I'm like, no way. No way do I think you're stupid or foolish. You trusted God. How amazing is that? You saw God go to work in your heart and in your life. Praise the Lord. That's the power of Jesus. That's what he wants for you and me in all different kinds of ways. It's incredible. It's awesome. So he just shares truth about what is, about what true wisdom is, and the difference that exists between how he defines it in the world and culture. And we have choices to make. What are we going to believe? Who are we going to be? Do you know what his greatest proof of having wisdom be in knowing him do you know what his greatest proof of that is do you remember the rest of the passage verse 26 to 31 it is greatest proof in terms of being a wise and a loving god is you people want to see that God is a wise and a loving God. He gives you as evidence. Now, that might be causing you to think right now. That's good. But but do you see what the passage says? And And you think through this. You really have to think this is a deep passage Think of who you were before Jesus. That's what it's saying. Not wise by human standards. Maybe not influential. Not noble birth. This is God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's not calling you a fool. He's saying this, this is the deal. If the world were looking for people who are going to be game changers. In our culture, are they going to look at followers of Jesus? Are they going to look at you? Let's just be honest. No, they're going to look and see who has the most money, who has the most power. I I, I always have to, um, it just makes my brain freeze when I see um, whether it's, again, news blurbs or commercials or something that because somebody is a celebrity, they've, they've got it figured out this is the answer for your life because I'm a rock star let me tell you I would rather spend a few minutes with you and hear your wisdom in Jesus Christ than days with them because wisdom is found in the Lord and in following Jesus Christ and that's what he says and we know that's the truth he gave you grace, and it comes back to purpose, right? It comes back to knowing and being. H- how do you know God? What is he to you? What do you know about God? How are you embracing that in your life? How are you following that? How are you letting him reveal himself to you day in and day out so that you would grow, you'd continue to be wiser? In devotions, word, living life, here, worship. How is that working in your heart and in your life? And knowing that that what happens then, because of your knowledge, you get changed. There's that fullness of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. Thankfully, I'm not the same person I was five years ago, and I won't be the same person that I will be when I die. That's not what I want. I want the presence of God to continually grow in my heart and in my life. I want to listen more and more to what it is that the Holy Spirit is saying and speaking. And I want to be in union. I want to be right with him above all else. Th- that's what is most important. And I'm amazed that he would choose me to, to simply have him in my heart and in my life. And that's what this passage is. I think he chooses you. He chooses you. That was, that was the first week. Of this series. He chooses you to be an alien, to be set apart. And I love this it's verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you remember um, Ephesians 2 8 and 9. That's another thing that the world spins. Who you are is good enough. That's not what God's word says. Because of the presence of sin. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. Any person can't say, hey, I deserved it, I earned it, I'm in. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us, see, the presence, that life-changing part of who we are, has become for us wisdom from God. That is, and here it is, righteousness, truth, He's the one who calls the shots in terms of what that means in his word and by the leading of his Holy Spirit, truth, not us. Holiness, what does it mean to be right and pure and moral? We don't have the capability to make that call. God does. And redemption. Who it is that receives grace and is redeemed. That all comes to us through Jesus Christ. Your proof, living proof of God's grace, power, and wisdom, fearfully and wonderfully made, chosen, salt, light. I want to encourage you in that because that's what the world needs. The world needs Jesus. It doesn't need us being us in our own intellect and own wisdom. That's not going to give the world the answers they need. It's Jesus Christ living in us, being grace-filled and forgiving people, like Jesus does, not like the world does. Being right with him to a degree that they can no longer say. Remember the, remember some of the truth that came out of last week as well. Live such good lives that you'll silence the ignorant talk of foolish people that there's this glaring difference in your heart and in your life. That you don't fit in a lost and hurting world. And that your values and your practices and who it is that you're being isn't like everybody else. Grace and forgiveness, unity, holiness, reconciliation, huge part of that so it is who you choose to be. Christian on Sunday and the rest of the week. I have to close by telling you, um, you think about wisdom and you think about intellect. Whenever I read a passage like this or I think about what does it mean to be wise in a lost and hurting world, I think of my father-in-law. It's not even fair for me to call him that. I call him my dad-in-law. My my dad had an eighth-grade education. I think he would have excelled if he would have been able to go on. But he had to help provide for the family. So he was called out of the classroom into the fields when he was in the eighth grade. Barring your presence because I don't know you well enough. (laughs) My dad-in-law was the wisest man that I've ever known. He taught me what it meant to be a godly husband. A lot of ways to be a godly child, son. To be a godly dad. I learned a lot from him. He's one of the most humble people you'd ever meet on the face of this earth. And it was all not about because he had this huge degree. He was wise because he feared the Lord. And he his heart beat to follow Jesus. I hope. that I can continue to live my life and that I have lived my life but continue to live my life with that kind of wisdom. You want to change your world? You want to change your family? You want to change the relationships, people that you see, that you know and love? You want to be right with God? Be wise. Follow the Lord. Will you pray with Lord God, I give you praise and I give you thanks and you alone I want to pray that you would fill our hearts to overflowing with your presence and with your word and with your truth so Lord that it is so we are so full that we can't help but be, there's no room for anything else that when we walk, we walk with you that when we shine, we shine for you that we influence in the world, we influence for you. Give us that hunger and that thirsting for your word and your spirit that makes all things right in a lost and hurting world so deeply loved by you. Even so, come Lord Jesus. It's in your name and with humility and great thanks we pray. Amen.